us to learn something this morning that we can use in the battle. Give Jim a quick remembrance of the things he's prepared. Thank you again, Jesus. Thank you again, Father. Thank you again, Spirit. Amen. Thanks, Scott. One of our uh, elders, Scott Price. I had uh, Rob Mitchell up here the first service, and somebody asked me, I didn't see his uh, picture down by the water fountain. You know, when we have an elder, kind of once an elder, always an elder, some of these elders are just not serving in our on the board at the moment, but they're still elders. So thanks, Scott, for reading for us. Okay, we're in Leviticus. We're beginning the journey of winding down. Uh, we're coming to the end of Leviticus. We've come a long ways, haven't we? So let me just remind you where we've come. We started Leviticus 1 through 7, talking about sacrifices, how different and unique uh, Israel's sacrifices, and therefore ours are from the rest of the world. Then we went to 8, 9, and 10, where we talked about the priesthood and how unique the priesthood was among the, pre- the nations. They all had priests. We're going to see some of that in a minute because we're actually circling back to the priests today. Then in between uh, those chapters and today, uh, we had all those rules that we've been talking about uh, for all the individuals to follow. And um, why do all of a sudden do we circle back to priests? Well, how many of you remember what I talked about two weeks ago? Uh-huh, that's what I thought. Yep. How about last week? Uh-huh, that's what I thought. Okay, well, they're no different than you. They're sheep. <laughs> so I know full well that you're not going to remember what I say today. And you know what? I'm okay with that. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. I'll tell you what I'm mostly interested in. Identity. Not remembrance. And that what I mean by that is that if I've done what I'm supposed to do and I do it well, and I work hard at it, when you leave here after church on Sundays, you love the Lord just a little bit more. And you're more intrigued by this than you were when you got here. That's really the goal. I don't expect any of you to remember uh, the things that I say. And so all these new rules, remember we've been sitting at the base of Mount Sinai. wasn't very long ago. Less than a year, we were in Egypt. And we're hearing all these new rules. They knew what, where they had come from. They knew Egypt. And they're supposed to no longer practice the rules from where they came. And they know where they're going, Canaan. And they're not supposed to practice the rules where they're going. And so, but these rules, that was their world. This was what was comfortable to them. And so imagine trying, you hear this being taught to you for the first time. And then you go into the land and you scatter all around the country. How many of you are going to remember this? None of you. That's just human nature, right? You may remember, I remember Moses talking about those things and how different we are, but I don't remember what it is. That's why priests were created, okay? Scattered around the country. Now, they didn't yet know that they weren't going to make it into the promised land for 40 more years because they're all excited. And pretty soon, right after this, when we get to numbers, they start wandering, wandering up here spiritually, complaining, whining, uh, just like you guys. No, 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 I don't, didn't, it was, yeah, I didn't mean it that way. 
No, no, no. They start complaining. They start whining. And so the Lord, and then they actually disobey the Lord. The uh, 10 of the 12 spies came back terrified. I mean, I have a lot of, I have a lot of respect for this young nation. They, uh, wasn't very long ago, they were slaves. And now they're being asked to do battle against the well-armed cities. And their faith said no. So God took them on a 40-year journey. What we learned from Numbers is that the desert has lots of sand. And God is not in a hurry. If the second generation had failed, the desert has lots of sand. And God's not in a hurry. He's just going to keep going until somebody stands up with faith and says we can do it. And so we're nearing the end of the lessons now. We have two things left to talk about. What a great way to bring about a conclusion to the holiness code. One is priests. What purpose do they serve and how unique are they? He's going to circle back around because that was at the beginning of Leviticus, but now it's at the end, and he's got them some things to add that he couldn't add back here because he would have misinterpreted it. He had to go through the rituals and explaining things. So remember the categories? This comes important today. Holy, clean, unclean. These are not bad. There's not good and bad. Don't think of them that way. These are situations that you find yourself in life. The holy is where God dwells. When we get to the holy temple, we're all going to be like this. The clean is where we exist most of the time in our lives. The unclean is where we find ourselves sometimes, but it's whatever's happening here is because it doesn't happen over there. For example, pregnancy. Remember we talked about that? That made a woman unclean because it was bad? No, because in the realm of the holy, there's no giving uh, birth to children. It's not bad. He's teaching them these categories. You're down here and you get, a, you get a sickness or a fever. Is that bad? No. It just means that that's not up here. It's not here. So whatever is in the realm of the unholy is not bad. He's teaching them like you teach kindergartners these three categories. There's a fourth category called the evil, but that's not us. So we're not, we didn't hardly spend any time on it. But most people go back and forth between unclean and the clean in the ancient world. That was very common. So in order to move from here to here, you had to offer a sacrifice. And guess what? Wash your hands. Nothing new under the sun. Keep washing your hands. I don't want this COVID to come back. I don't want to get sick again. Okay? Got my vaccinations, everything. Wash your hands, okay? And so you had to offer a sacrifice to go from here to here. And you had to use water to clean things. That set the stage for all the cleansing rituals to begin to teach you that to move from unclean to clean requires cleansing. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 36. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will clean you like fresh, clean water. So Jesus could say to Peter, you're already clean. Then to go from here to here, he had to offer a sin offering. That's what Jesus did. Okay? And so we go from there to here. So these categories are real critical all the way through. Don't think of them as good or bad. Think of them as this is where God dwells. This is where we often dwell. And this is where we find ourselves sometimes when we're not thinking about it. Okay? And it may be because of sin, but often it's just defilement. That's why Jesus was down here when he died on the cross. He wasn't afraid to make himself unclean. He touched bodies, which you're going to see the priest wasn't allowed to do. He touched bodies. He wasn't afraid to become unclean. 
anyone who's hung on a cross is cursed. So he had to be outside the temple precinct. And so he had to go outside the camp to suffer. That was all what Lent was all about. He became unclean, okay, for our benefit. Nothing wrong with it. It's just categories of where you find yourself in life. And that becomes very important. So we're going we're gonna, to, now remember what Leviticus is all about. It's laying out the blueprint for what God desires. And it's not until the Holy Spirit comes that that blueprint gets turned into a building. So they're not going to remember all this. They're just not going to remember it. When they get into the promised land in Joshua, every tribe gets its own plot of land all around the country. And now they're all spread out. And so think about how hard it is to work through and overcome your own struggles with sin. Because you all have it. Let's just be honest. Some of you lust. Some of you tell a little white lies. Some of you distort things. Some of you, I mean, you all have it. You all struggle with things. You're human. You know, welcome to the human race. You're just redeemed human. So how long has it taken you to overcome some of this? It takes a lifetime, doesn't it? And you still struggle with it. The older you are, it's still there. It doesn't go away. And that's a good thing. Because it shows us that God accepts you for who you are. And so you get better over life. I just thank the Lord all the time that we don't go through reincarnation and become something different. We become something better. So as you move toward Christ, you become a better human. Those are your only choices. You can move toward Christ and become a truer, better human, what you're created to be, or you can move away from Christ. can't be in the middle and stay there. You become less human, less recognizable. You think about the great, uh, not the great, you think of the, the most dehumanizing leaders in history. You think of, you know, uh, Stalin or Lenin or Hitler, any of those. Other than the physical appearance, what was recognizable for them as a, as a human? Nothing. As you move toward Christ, you move toward true humanity. You don't become something different because God loves you just the way you are. You become something better. And that's unique to Christianity. That's a wonderful thing. So now all of a sudden we're scattered all around the, the desert in all of our different tribes. And uh, we're, you know, we're surrounded by the nations. Imagine how hard it would be. You can't even remember what was in this book. How hard would it be to people, be the people of God? They didn't have Bibles to walk around with. They didn't have things in their pocket where they could look it up. They didn't have that. So how in the world were they supposed to become a light on a hill? And this is where priests come into the picture. Priests. Because they went with, into all the different groups. And they lived there. And their purpose was very simple. Remember what a priest does? Three things. They bring God to the people let me remind you of God's law in his heart and what's being revealed. That's why we've called this a love story of Leviticus because it is captured, it's written in coded form laws, but underneath it is the heart of God, the love that he has for his people. Bring God out to the people. The second thing a priest did is bring the people to God through worship and sacrifice, bringing their sacrifices together. And the third thing, they did, they brought God to the people, bring the people to God, was to bless the people. And that helped them. That was supposed to help them stay on this journey as a nation because they didn't have churches all over the place. They didn't have that. They had synagogues and things like that, altars. And they had to come to Jerusalem at the main temple three times a year to celebrate. So we're going to conclude our time in Leviticus by looking at the priesthood and add the things that he didn't talk about in the beginning and then we're also going to get to the last two weeks, celebration, festivals.
what we're supposed to do. So isn't it amazing that he finishes the chapter with celebration and joy? That's, I mean, this whole book, that's where he finishes. You see, they were supposed to get together three times a year and party. The Festival of Tabernacles. They didn't realize it was going to be a 40-year journey, but they'd get together once a year for eight days. Everybody would come from all around the world, and they'd build little temple, little uh, tents, tabernacles, little shelters. Uh, all around Jerusalem, people in their homes would move out, and they'd live in tabern- uh, little tents to remind them of how God took care of them for 40 years. And the, the rabbis, they tell us that uh, for eight days, they sang, and they worshiped, and they danced. 24 hours a day, round the clock. It was a time of celebration. That's what the festivals were for. So we've already gone through all this, these rules and talked about how the gods, we had nothing to be afraid of. That's what's unique about Leviticus. We don't need to be afraid of our God. He loves us. And so he's going to conclude all the rules with now have fun, enjoy life. And by the way, you don't have to worry about your crops and your animals when you're coming in three times a year. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of all your stuff. You just come in and rest and have a great time. So think about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy. There's a second one. That's what you're made for, is joy, deep joy. And so by the time we get to the end of Leviticus, we're beginning to move toward joy and celebrating what God has done. Okay, so in this section here, now that God has dealt with the ordinary Israelite all through the preceding chapters, he now turns in the direction of the priesthood and the celebrations. Higher standards are expected of the leaders. And by the way, when I say priesthood, I'm talking about all the different leaders. Uh, the, priest, uh, the, uh, the priesthood and the leaders had different occupations within that, different things. So I'll just use the one term to capture the idea of leadership. And I'll probably use the word priest. Many of the deformities that barred, that bar a priest, we'll see those in a minute, from offering a sacrifice are the same as those that bar an animal from being offered as a sacrifice. You see, God is concerned with the dignity of both animals and humans. Let's don't ever forget that. We talked about that a week or two ago, that uh, we should care about this earth. They have the same rules in place, but you're going to hear in a minute, they're very different than the way the beliefs were of the surrounding nations. One of the reasons the standards are higher is because the priests and all the spiritual leaders were expected to demonstrate the holiness of the Lord to the congregation. How else would they know? They're scattered all around the promised land. How would they know? So they need, they need priests there that would model for them and teach them what life was to be like. When you compare them, this, these, these ideas to the surrounding nations, several things surface. Now, one of the things hopefully you've gotten through this study is that, that when you have contrast, when you compare a commandment of the Lord to the surrounding nations, you see redemption. You see grace in action because you know what God's trying to limit evil practices and introduce dignity. Remember that? And so you have to contrast it. If you don't do that, it's just a bunch of ancient rules. We're way down here in the 21st century looking back at a bunch of rules that don't make any sense to us. And so therefore we never study Leviticus because they don't make any sense to us. But when you come back in time and you step in here and you begin to see how the world really was, then all these rules make sense. So that was the job of the priests, was to help them see this. So once again, we're going to look at the surrounding nations. All the surrounding nations had detailed regulations on priestly purity and qualifications. For example, Mesopotamia. You had to be, uh, have pure descent. You had to be perfect in appearance and limb. 
not cross-eyed. By the way, these are all verifiable. Not cross-eyed. Uh, no chipped teeth. No mutilated fingers. No disease of the genitals or the skin. The reason why is because you're going to step into the presence of the gods. And if you were perfect, they might strike you dead and curse the whole nation. So they only picked the people who were perfect that got to be priests to allow to step into the presence of the gods. Babylon. The priest had to be expected from the edge of his head to the tip of his toes. No disfigured face, no mutilated eyes, irregular features or brands. No police record. Isn't that interesting? You know why? Because if you had a police record, you had scars. Because that means you have been beaten, thrashed. And nobody could enter into the presence of the gods that had been beaten, thrashed. So one of the shortcuts was, let's just check. If you have a police record, you're automatically disqualified. Not because of morality, but because you got a scar somewhere on you. That interesting. So in Israel, it's vastly different the way God approaches it. Uh, number one is the priesthood was hereditary. It followed the Aaronic line. You had to be a descendant of Aaron to be a priest. Uh, this was different than the surrounding nations where the priests were lay people. They served for a limited time and then went back to their profession. In Mesopotamia, for example, the priests were appointed by the king. In, limiting, in Israel, limiting the priesthood to one tribal line fulfilled several things at once that God wanted to accomplish. Number one, if the priest could be appointed, then his office could be bought. That was common in Egypt. We have some of that today. Number two, the priests had to master the Torah, the law, Leviticus 10, so that they could teach the people the ways of God. And if you bought your priesthood for a maybe a year or two, and it went back to whatever you were doing, you never could master the Torah. So ensuring that one tribe was responsible for handling the sacred teachings, that means they were taught from birth. They were raised understanding the holiness code that we've been working through. This allowed for the mastery of God's law. Number three, the priests were unique in that they had to exemplify the concept of holiness and demonstrate a purity that contrasted with the other nations. If we just brought people in and out of the priesthood, then they'd just be like everybody else. And so the priests were to be uh, a part. They were to look different. They were to be different. And you know what? That hasn't changed in leadership today when we get to the New Testament. All of you are familiar with, with Christian leaders who have fallen, aren't you? It's devastating. It's destructive. It destroys churches. It wrecks people's faith. In eight years of meeting coffees with people in the community, I only have one person that didn't grow up in a faith home. Only one. And the rest were hurt by things like this. I've said all along, if the church only does two things right, they're going to hit a grand slam. They appoint godly leaders, and they take care of marriages. If that's all they do right, it's, it's, they're going to hit it out, right out of the park, to use a baseball analogy. If they do everything else right, but they, but they don't appoint good leaders, and they don't take care of marriages, it doesn't matter. The best they can do is mediocrity. That's the best they can do. A healthy, vibrant church is because we have godly leaders, and our elders are wonderful. They're wonderful. 
They're unsung heroes. Most of you don't even know who they are. You can go look at their pictures if you want out there. But they're quietly going around the church. They have the best job in the world just to mingle with the people, love them, and pray for them. That's it. That's their job. They're wonderful. They're all quietly serving somewhere in the background and uh, doing their thing. I love our elders. We'll come back to that in a moment. So they become important. So why is this important? God's now going to define the concept of what priesthood and leadership looks like. So he's now defining Israel's priesthood and practices and contrasting them with the surrounding nations. A lot of the language overlaps, but we'll see why it's different in just a minute. But he's also preparing all the people for a future priesthood. Remember the covenant. They just had made the covenant with God at Mount Sinai in Exodus. If you obey my commands fully, I will make you a kingdom of priests. They went from slaves to priests in one agreement. They have to learn what it means to be priests. And so priests serve the role of teaching them now that they're going to be scattered all around the country and modeling for them what that looks like. So that's very important. In contrast to the surrounding nations, the priesthood was not an occupation. It was life. It was a way of life. And the people who grew up as priests through the ironic line, they were trained from birth to be godly leaders. It's supposed to be. So we're only going to look at two categories because a lot of things are talked about in these chapters. We're only going to look at two. And the first one is funeral rites. And if we have time, we'll get to the second one. Funeral rites. What do you do around the dead? So Leviticus 21, verses 1 to 4. It'll be up on the screen. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, A priest must not make himself ceremonially unclean, remember that language, for any of his people who die, except for a close relative, such as his father or mother, his son or daughter, his brother, or an unmarried sister who is dependent on him since she has no husband. Once she gets married, she belongs to another family. Or, uh, for her, he may make himself unclean. He must not make himself unclean for people related to him by marriage, and so defile himself. So the priests were not allowed to become unclean by mourning for the dead, except for the immediate family. That seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? We'll come back in just a minute, and I'll tell you why I think that's the case. You notice the wife was not mentioned in this, because in the earlier text, it's noted that the wife and husband are one flesh. So there's one exception. Um, it was shock- it's so shocking in Ezekiel 24 that Ezekiel, who was a priest, was told not to, warm his, not to mourn his wife's death. The Lord took his wife's life, and he was allowed to mourn it. That seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? We'll come back and talk about that in a minute. Let's talk about the high priest. We're going to skip down to verse 10. The high priest, the one among his brothers who has the anointing oil poured on his head, who has been ordained to wear the priestly garments, must not let his hair become unkempt or tear his clothes. He must not enter a place where there is a dead body. He must not make himself unclean even for his father or mother, nor leave the sanctuary of his God or desecrate it because he has been dedicated by the anointing of oil of his God. I am the Lord. So the having his hair unkempt, it's, it's the, in Hebrew, it's the idea of, of uh, uncovering his head. So he was allowed to uncover his head. 
Okay? So that's the high priest. The rites were even, the rituals and commands were even more strict for the high priest. Because he has been anointed, he could not uncover his head. That means let his hair become unkempt, if you will. Also, he could not make himself unclean by tearing his clothes, which is a sign of grieving. Something happens, somebody in your family dies, you tore your clothes, put ashes on your head. That was a sign of grieving. He wasn't allowed to do that. His obligation to God surpassed even his family responsibilities. Okay, and I'll come back in just a moment and explain some of this to you. What does this tell us, though, about God's view of the dead? He kept a clear division between the living and the dead. Since death was connected to the curse, it was considered unclean. It's unclean because it doesn't occur in the realm of the holy. Okay? Remember I said death isn't, I mean, unclean is not bad. It's a situation you find yourself in life that doesn't occur here in the heavenly temple. There's no death. Therefore, death is considered unclean, a dead body. Okay? So that's the first thing. Um, In contrast to the surrounding nations, God was teaching the Israelites to treat the dead with dignity. We have no evidence in the surrounding nations that that's how they thought. Treat them with dignity. By declaring them unclean, this introduces the earliest concepts of resurrection because they're not going to stay here. Okay? Treat them with respect. But the priests were not allowed to do that. Priests were not. So the priest was therefore instructed to remain separate from any of the funeral rituals uh, regarding the dead. Here's what I think is going on. Uh, and a lot of other people, I'm not alone in this. The priest was not allowed to grieve the death of someone while on duty. So the priest served their duty once a year. Had 12, I mean, had one month of duty. They're in, the, they're in the temple serving or wherever they were. They had to go through seven days of ritual cleansing before they started it. Then when they were finished with the ritual cleansing, then they went into the temple and served in their capacity as priests. But they were taught, and they all believe this, that God, there's no such thing as coincidence with God. So God is absolutely in charge of everything. As Job says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. So they knew that God was not sleeping on the day he rested because babies were born and people died, and those are both sovereign acts of God. God decides when your time is up. Psalm 139. He makes that decision. It doesn't happen by coincidence. It doesn't happen by accident. It happens because of God's decision, and it's not a bad thing. Okay? So, for the priest on duty who's modeling for the people that somebody died and they ripped their clothes, that's a statement that God just made a mistake. And they weren't allowed to do that. They could do it outside the one month, but not while they're on duty because they're modeling for the people confidence in God's decision to take somebody. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? Losing somebody hurts a lot. I cried my eyes out when my first wife died, okay? Uh, but I was envious. Honest truth is I was envious. I was instantly lonely, and I was envious. So death is not, death is not, we are not created for death, but it's not a bad thing. What did Paul say in Philippians 1? To die is gain. But to remain with you is a necessary evil. No, no, no. But to remain with you is necessary. Okay? 
And the times, like when I was in the hospital, when I had cancer, when I was wrestling with how do I feel about dying, I feel okay about it. In fact, the honest truth is at this age, I'm, I'm, I'm mystified and curious, and I want to know what it's going to be like. I don't know how to find that grace which is so elusive to us, but I do know when it's present. I don't know how to get there, but it shows up when I need it. There's no question in my mind that when the time comes to die, that grace is going to be present. I have told the Lord there are some deaths, ways of dying I'd like to avoid. I'd really like to avoid drowning if he's listening. Okay? Uh, but even then, it's, the grace is going to be, it's going to appear. And I'm really curious. I'm a curious person. What is that going to be like to enter into his presence with grace, just immersing me in grace to step across that line? I don't know what that's going to be like, but I look forward to it. But at the same time, I'm very aware I have a bunch of people that I love and kids and grandkids. Did I tell you that I have number 11 on the way? Yeah. So I'm going to keep telling you that. It's just part of being who I am. (laughs) And I have the microphone and you don't. (laughs) And so I have people to love. So to remain here is necessary until the Lord said it's no longer necessary. And so they were modeling they were modeling for the people that God does not make mistakes. When someone dies, this is not coincidence. It's not because of sickness. That may be the vehicle God uses. It's not because of execution. It's not because of any of that. It's not because of a car crash. Those are the vehicles that God uses to accomplish his purposes, to bring somebody home. To die is gain. That's what Paul says. So this is beginning to give us insight into how we as priests are to live in the presence of a world that has no way to see who Jesus is except by looking at us. We're starting to get insight into what it means to be a priest. Furthermore, in 1 Thessalonians 4, we should not grieve as the world grieves. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. They've preceded us. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Okay? So I've said that suffering is a language that the world understands. They get it. What they don't understand is how we respond in grace to it. Well, the same is true in death. Oh, I cried my eyes out. All of you have lost people. You should cry. That's all part of it. But we lose people with hope. I am convinced the 4,327 people that have preceded me that I know or whatever the number is, I will see them again. I have hope. And that's what this does. Okay, look with me briefly at the physical requirements of the priesthood. It's in verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, For the generations to come, none of your descendants who has a defect may come near to offer the food of his God. So they couldn't serve in the temple. They could do other things of priesthood, but they couldn't serve in the temple. No man who has any defect may come near. No man who is blind or lame, disfigured, deformed, crippled foot, crippled hand, hunchback, dwarf, on and on and on. Okay? Sounds like the surrounding nations, doesn't it? But the reasons for eliminating these priests is very different. This list, just like the surrounding nations, is very, uh, it's verifiable. It's very specific. The reason why God is, is limiting these people is a lesson just like you teach kindergartners. Because a person that has a defect is unclean. 
and a priest has to enter the temple. There's nothing wrong with this. This isn't bad. But he's, re, he's reiterating to them that the unclean do not exist in the realm of the holy. And he's using this as an example. Go to Exodus 4. When Moses, when God tells Moses to go speak to Pharaoh, and he said, I'm not a very good speaker, here's what God says. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? This is not bad. A blind person is just as valuable as a seeing person. But the reason why they're not allowed to serve as a priest in the temple, they can serve all the other ones, is because he's continuing the lesson, teaching them that uh, what happens in this realm, there's no correspondence to what happens, happens in this realm. So you understand it's not a bad thing? Get it? This is a statement, a theological statement, trying to teach them what the holy realm looks like, what they're actually created for. There's no blind in heaven. There's no disfiguration in heaven. There's none of that. So what do we learn about God? Deformities are part of the fallen world not the heavenly sanctuary. This lies behind all of Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 15, 2 Corinthians 5, where he talks about we long for our heavenly bodies. For those of you that are older, you know what I mean when I say our bodies slowly fall apart? Don't they? They do. Requires more medicine, more surgeries. Requires us to live with more pain than we've ever lived with before. That's proof that what God is saying is true. And we long for our heavenly bodies where none of this is a part of our world anymore. I can't wait. I just can't wait to see what it's going to be like. Um, No COVID. None of that. No torn pieces of the body. No surgeries. I love it. I can't wait. I have asthma. I told Nancy, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be like Forrest Gump. I'm just going to start running. Because <laughs> I never could in my entire life. The physical qualifications that we see in this passage have now been replaced by spiritual qualifications. So it's a picture because Christians are no longer in this category. Unclean is done away with, with the Spirit of God. Okay? So we are now clean. We've been cleansed by the Holy Spirit. And furthermore, we stand in God's presence now because of the work of Christ. We're coming to communion in just a second. And this is what communion is all about. The new covenant in my blood washes us and makes us clean. That's the Holy Spirit, Ezekiel 36. The death of Christ, death, burial, resurrection, atones for sin. That's that sin offering that allows us into his presence. So we are clean and we are holy both at the same time. So that's why in the New Covenant, and it quotes it in Hebrews 10, I will remember your sin no more. So when you get into trouble, there's no such thing as retributive justice for the Christian. When you get in trouble, you're not being punished. God could punish you anytime he wants. It's not the way it works. He uses, 
He uses your stupidity to accomplish his purposes. So when you sin, he takes advantage of it and uses it because this is where you stand. So the, now all the physical requirements have all been now replaced with spiritual qualifications. You can see them in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, a variety of places. 1 Peter 5, who Scott read. Who Scott read. And so we learn that uh, the godliest among us, they get to be examples to us. It's a privilege to stand up here and be an example to you. Although I have to admit that after COVID in the hospital, I did tell the Lord that it's okay if he wants to use somebody else for a while. <laughs> As an example, I've done my time. <laughs> and also, while we are permitted to mourn, we are now to mourn with hope. That's the difference. And that's what this chapter is teaching us. So you can see why the priesthood was important. These people are now going out from here after hearing all of this, going all around the country that God has given them, the promised land, and they're not going to remember it. And so the priests are there to teach them and to bring the heart of God to them. And honestly, uh, the verse that scares me the most in the Bible, which is my warning, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that you will incur a stricter judgment. So I work my very hardest to bring you the best when it comes to Scripture. So that is life-giving. Not that you remember it, but that it gives you life and you draw closer to the Lord. Okay? You're going to remember that we talked about Leviticus, but you're not going to remember all the rules, all the things that we've taught. I just know that. But I, my prayer is that all of you are now a half step closer to the Lord because of the time we spent. That's what a priest does. That's what a leader does. Is helps you. Father, thank you for, uh, for our leaders that we have at DCC, our elders, our staff. I know them, Lord, and they are truly godly people. Human, yes. They sin, yes, as we all do. But Lord, they're very godly. They have walked with you and they've experienced you and their faith has grown stronger every step of the way. And I'm grateful for them. Thank you for these lessons in Leviticus on how to be a holy people even more important than that, how to be a priest on behalf of a world that's failing all around us. Lord, this world needs us. It's tired, it's worn out, it's divided. It's, it's a, sometimes it looks like anarchy to me. It's hostile. They need us. Help us, Lord, to be a priest, to be the kind of priest that you envision to show your love, to demonstrate it to our friends and neighbors in our county. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, let me say a word to those of you watching online. Thanks for joining us. So glad that you are there. Hope that you're well. Uh, drop us a note from time to time. Let us know how you're doing. But we appreciate you. This concludes the live streaming portion of our service.